0: This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. So anyway, we welcome our online listeners and today's message is called A Man of Faith. Here's what Andrew Murray said. When the law is written in our hearts, it means that the love of God's law and He Himself has now become the moving power of our life. However, cold or feeble we may feel, faith, know that the new heart is in us, that the love of God's law is our very nature, that the teaching and power of the Spirit are within us. Such faith knows it can obey. There is a very, very powerful principle here. Of course, Andrew Murray is one of our historical historical teachers that has really mastered um, the area of ministry of the Holy Spirit's movement within a believer. That was his whole life's journey. Andrew Murray was such a preacher that people had the tendency to uh, react a lot of the ways that people reacted to Spurgeon and if you remember correctly when Spurgeon would preach the people would hang on to the pew in front of them because they were afraid the floor was gonna fall out from underneath them because he preached with such power and authority that people really understood the fear of God well Andrew Murray was very similar to this when he would begin to preach the Holy Spirit would be released on people and there would be such a movement of the Holy Spirit because of God's primary focus of Andrew Murray was the release of the Spirit. I.e. Watchman Nee was heavily influenced by Andrew Murray. And he wrote a book or a series of sermons, he wrote from letters of course, called Release of the Spirit. There's a little history for you. But here's the facts. God shut Andrew Murray down. Took his voice away. He couldn't speak for two years. And during that two years that Andrew Murray could not speak is when he wrote his books. Which are the the materials that we hang on to today as Exchange Life teachers. See, all things work together for the good. But I want you to understand something, because we're going to be quoting uh, Andrew Murray's quite a bit through our new series coming up, that his whole focus was releasing the spirit of life within you, the law of the spirit of life within you. So he doesn't really just focus on the exchange life of Christ in you, he focuses on the law of the spirit of life working through you. So there's a lot of practical stuff in in what he, he uses and teaches us. So when the law is written in our hearts, how, someone tell me, how the law can get written in our hearts. How's this possible? By the way, I thought the law was done away with after Jesus came. Huh? Through reading the Bible? Okay, very good. So if the law in the Hebrew means character, the laws of God means the character of God. And Jesus came to fulfill the law, Jesus came to fulfill the character of God. And he literally fulfilled how many of the laws in the Old Testament? All of them. Now, if you can if you could just try to imagine this, even though I believe it's impossible, but if you can imagine that Jesus Christ literally embodied the whole law of God on the cross. He became the whole law, the character of God, his Father. And then, he had to pay the price for those who refused to obey or break one of those laws and since there's so many laws of God when he had to take on the consequences of every single one of those those consequences of breaking each individual law he literally became sin now you do the math but I'm here to tell you that's a lot of law That is more law than is written in this book. It is the very characteristics and requirements of his characteristics of God eternally. And he literally became the law. Fulfilled it. The consequences of not obeying laws. He paid the price. Then after that is done. He sets up this this privilege for us to actually receive Jesus Christ himself into, inside, in us, in our mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit. Then he says you have a new law of life. Jesus fulfilled the old law He took every single law, every single law, and scratched it on the tablets of your heart. Every single law. Whenever you hear the law from this day forward, here's what I hope happens in your mind. Thou shall not commit murder. That is a character of God. It's saying, thou shall not kill. Well, It is a characteristic of God that he doesn't just take life for the fun of it. So to accuse God that he's the one taking these aborted children or he allows it, therefore he's taking them or whatever, this is unjust because it's not a part of his character. We took that life away from that child. You can do that on every single one of those Issues that you can attach to thou shall not kill. And God still is not a hypocrite. God said to King David, he said, don't count your soldiers. Remember that? Someone want to tell me what happened to David because he did count them? This is a scripture God uses on me so many times I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it when you go into battle you will lose 10,000 soldiers so who killed those soldiers God right thou shall not kill God breaks his own law wrong thou shall not kill God told David not to count his soldiers because David was caught up in having a little army and he was about to face this massive army and he was doing what a A warrior would do. And that is to to calculate according to numbers. And God said don't count the numbers. Just go into battle. And I will take care of the rest of the the battle. And that did not sound logical to David. So he counted his soldiers. 10,000 men died that day. And I can assure you God would say. That blood is on David's shoulders. Because of disobeying one mandate. Now you think about that. That is how meticulous God has been with His law. He's not the type that pats a child on the back and says, okay, don't do it again. You know how ridiculous that is, that statement is? Okay, don't do it again. Of course, the child's going to do it again. Or, okay, but try not to do it again. Well, what is that? It's training a dog. No biscuits for you. You see, when we talk about dogs, it makes sense. Because with dogs, you're training flesh. Why do we train precious commodities of God, like dogs? Don't, don't, don't. No, 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 no. You are using the law to separate them from Jesus Christ. Not drawing them to Christ. That is a sermon series all by itself. Is how to use law and grace properly. Which is the title of next week's message. We're going to finish this series to the end of the year with a strong boost of law and grace. So that when we start our series on the book of Revelation, it is going to be bathed in grace so people don't interpret that wonderful book as a book of law from God. Because it does sound like law. Same thing with handling a child. Same thing with handling your spouse. It is not about making them act like a Christian who is living by the law of the spirit of life. I mean, it's like requiring that doorknob on that bathroom to act like a Christian if you're dead to Christ you're dead to Christ you're going to hell it's just that simple doorknobs don't get to heaven and when we lose that separation we will not be evangelistic anymore in America everything will be okay oh your doorknob great it's not great the day is upon us where we have to clearly be able to communicate what a goat is and what sheep are. This is what a goat looks like, son. This is what sheep look like, son. You are a goat. Oh, that's too insulting. Well, I wonder how they're going to feel on the other side when they're in hell, when they were begging not just for a drop of water, as the Bible says, begging, as Lazarus did, someone to please go back and tell them the truth. We're living in a culture today where we're not speaking the truth as a razor-sharp knife. We're not rightly dividing unrighteousness from righteousness. Andrew Murray happened to be one of these people that clearly understood the power of the law. And he understood what it meant for Jesus to fulfill the law. And he understood also the spirit of life within you. Which is the law of the spirit. So the law is not gone. It's fulfilled. Hebrew pictorial, melech. Melech is king, which is a strong fence of authority that leads. So we have our Hebrew word pictures here. This is the original. This is how it looks today. But Chet is a fence or protection. Mem is water, if you remember. This is like a bucket of water sloshing around. So Mem is water, chaos water was actually not spoken of except for by God himself until really after the flood it was not a common thing found in language before the flood God said it and it was there and the water separated God did his deal but it never really became associated with chaos until after the flood because God used the flood to wash away the chaos that, is, that was established from Adam's one choice. Just as David's one choice, 10,000 men had to give their life. Adam's one choice, all of mankind that was going to be born from that day forward would be born into sin. Now think about this. How many years... Was from Adam picking that that fruit, Abby believes it was pomegranate, to Noah, 1,500 years. Was Adam still alive when Noah was born? Absolutely. Men lived a long time then. Well, for good reason. And all those generations of people that were born from Adam all the way to Noah, because of that one choice that one man made, chaos just spread throughout the the land. It wasn't several thousand that made it onto the boat. It wasn't several hundred that made it onto the boat. It was several the rest washed away in chaos. That's Mem. Washed away in chaos. Now I want you to really truly try to get your arms around what I'm saying here because when you hear the word King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you're going to, you're going to hear something different. He saves us from chaos. He is the king of kings. He's the one that rescues from the mem. And then you have the cattle goad, which is this old deal right here. Oftentimes what we're used to referencing as thy rod and thy staff it comfort me. That, that hook that pulls the sheep away from trouble. And then you have Resh, which is the red-headed man. And you put all of that together and what you have is king. You have the strong fence of authority that leads. You're not just protecting your children from troubles. You're a moving fence. It's like taking a cattle fence and there's a bunch of sheep and you're moving them in a given direction. You're not standing still. That is what a king does. He gathers a few... And he moves them to where they need to go. Now with that in mind, let's take a look at the issue of faith. If the number one message, at least by surveys, it says the number one things that Christians react to today is, I'll let you finish the fill in the blank. Barnes survey says... What's the number one issue Christians, self proclaimed Christians, I might add, make a big deal about today? Question all authority. Why do we have an emergent society today? Because back in the 60s, we started shouting that after we were done toking on our, our Mary Jane. Question authority, they're harmful. They'll hurt you. I can assure you that when you get to heaven, you will not be able to vote God out of his chair. I don't care how uncomfortable it becomes on the new earth. And then even on earth, when there were several people that didn't like their king, they would have to either kill the king But then the sun usually became far more wicked because of obvious reasons. And we've seen that move itself forward. Democracy says you rule from bottom up. Monarchy says you rule from king down. Which one of those best matches the kingdom of God? Any any suggestions? So you see, if the primary message that's in society is question authority, and while I'm saying this part of it, I'd like to have someone please look up uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. But if the number one message today is question all authority, what we're actually doing is setting up This is an illustration that's been used in Campus Crusade to probably every ministry in the world has used this train illustration in some fashion. But it's setting the violation up for the number one thing that Christ kept speaking of saying without faith you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, Either he's lying to us or he's telling us the truth. So the opposite of faith is reason. Thinking it through. Coming up with this cognitive thing that seems to make sense. Like David, I I hear you, but you know, it really doesn't make sense. So I've got to do my calculations as a warrior. Price tag? Ten thousand families lost they're patriarch, because of one decision of refusing to accept something by faith that had no logic connected to it. So 1 Peter chapter two verse 18 says, "What? Servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So servants, be submissive to your masters, not only to those who are good and gentle but also to those who are unreasonable. If you look unreasonable up in the Greek there, it means abusive, harsh. Well, we don't live in a society like that today. We sue people who trip us. You understand that? We live in a country that has literally thrived off of lawsuits because we will not be harshly treated. You take that and go to some of these countries that our little body here is ministering to in other countries, Muslim blocks. You try to take that doctrine and make it work in their their little church. It won't work. Here's how this works if a problem is put before you, David, you're about to go into this battle. And you know what? These guys are strong. In fact, they're the best warriors on the face of the earth. These guys will make your army look like kindergarten kids with sticks. They're big, they're powerful, and they're deathly. Because they don't care about life. David, you care about life. You care about your people. You want your warriors to come back. So God wanted him to see the unbelievable task that was before David. Feelings overwhelm. Then the facts. Then the faith. And that's exactly what David did that day. He was overwhelmed by this this battle he was about ready to go into and all of a sudden then the facts arrive. Okay, I got to I got to I got to count this out here. I got to to see how many uh, centurions do i have and how and he's trying to figure out what doesn't need to be figured out because the end result has already been figured out that's called sovereignty i'm going to ask you a very practical question do you believe god already knew who was going to be the next president of the united states Do not say it because there are certain Christians in the room going, oh yes, oh yes, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Do you believe without one vote being cast that God knew who was going to be the next president of the United States? Absolutely, Mark. Should we have voted? Of course. It's a freedom given to us as an American. Should we vote for... Someone who doesn't support the ways of God? Absolutely not. You see, then you can think through, but the issue is now not this, but it is faith, facts, feelings, problems. See, if I already know and believe that God knows the end result of this battle, and those are facts, that I'm going to carry as I move forward faith has all the energy that it needs then the feelings will support the facts and then the problem doesn't seem to be quite so overwhelming so when you're overwhelmed be assured you are functioning in a mode that the enemy thrives on problems feelings Facts and then your faith. Why is faith so Laodicean, so lukewarm, so washed out in certain people's lives or certain churches? Is because they are justifying that relationships are more important than truth. How many Christians do you know that will give their life for truth? Most of us make bigger deals out of the shoes we wear in the coats we wear than wearing persecution that's why I want our little body to be very very involved with VOM, voice of the martyrs those who are listening online I want you to dial in as soon as you can to persecution dot com I want you to get to know that ministry voice of the martyrs I want you to to send emails and ask how you in your area, wherever you're at and whatever country you're in, how you can help persecuted Christians. Not just praying for them, but how can you help them. These are people who understand what it means I am going to rest on the faith of the Son of God that has been given given to me. Then the facts, I will listen to them very carefully. And then the feelings are to support those facts. And then when the problem happens next time, it won't be that big of a deal to me. You see, sometimes God has to do a miracle. So Steve Finney is pouting and saying, Oh, we're really not making that big a difference, or, you know, whatever. You know, lies of how the enemy works. I'd be giving myself too much credit to say to you those are my own thoughts. Thoughts come from a spiritual force. So when someone says, God told me, it better line up with scripture. Because that's how Satan functions, is a replicated fashion of the way God functions. We are receivers, just like this little antenna is picking up my voice, sending it into this recorder, and recording it so we can send it out in our podcast that is that is how our minds work we're not different we're not unique we're not our third God of the world we're not our own God the term God means empowering one you know it's it's like when when Pharaoh was laying his dead son on this idol and he was looking up at this idol he was waiting for that idol to empower Life into that son and give his son back to him. That's a God. And God says, There shall be no other gods before me. You want to hear a cool thing? God won't even call Satan a God. Because the term of a God precisely means to empower, and we are walking on an earth where Satan is functioning like he has the ability to control our minds and the truth being said he doesn't can we allow him of course we can this tiny little receiver functions on channel A and channel B it's a good illustration actually because until we die we have a channel A and a channel B channel A is receiving from God Channel B is receiving from a wannabe God. He does have power. (laughs) He does. Some of you have encountered his power directly. But he's a wannabe. We need to buy choice, vote, as Jane said, choice every day to keep our channel tuned in to the God of the universe. Satan was the original perfectionist. He used his perfection as God described to him he was perfect in knowledge perfect in beauty perfect perfect in every way that is a quote unquote out of Ezekiel so he was a good-looking guy a good-looking being a very organized person but you see he was aroused by feelings of I'm not as good as God or I could have his chair then he started calculating his own numbers And then faith came in. Well, I think I've got enough faith mustered up where I can go in and get something done. Perfectionists put things in order externally in order to feel emotionally in order. That's Satan. Satan wants you to put things in order because you feel emotionally out of order. So if you're upset, you clean. If, you're, if something's bothering you you're putting something in order that's how Satan functions he uses the law to actually put things in order instead of letting faith put things in order faith would say ok I don't need to do this task right now God is the sovereign God he's in control and he's going to get everything done I need to make sure I hear his facts correctly then the feelings will support it. And then we'll, we'll see how big of a problem it is after that. Emotions of the living God. Emotions are used by God to display the compassion of his hand. When you bump into a Krishna that says, yeah, I, just, I just don't feel... Or they're saying, I feel that God is... As soon as I hear that, I... In my mind, I put up my hand. God does not speak to you through your feelings. He uses your emotions. God speaks to you through facts. The word of God, sharply dividing the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow, able to judge every thought and intention of the heart. If it doesn't match this, You better have your hand up. Because Satan goes opposite. He wants you to feel God. He wants you to feel troubled. He wants you to feel doctrines. He wants you to feel. So you will scribe your own law in your heart. Because everyone knows when you scribe a law, you have to keep it or you feel guilty. It's called a perfectionist. I said it therefore I'm gonna do it that'll get you through life therefore if anyone is has therefore if there is any encouragement in Christ if there is any consolation of love if there's any fellowship of the spirit if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose that passage clearly describes the goal of the body of Christ compassion even though we can't extract emotion out of it in fact there are no verses that says God empowers the emotions there are no verses that says God transforms your emotions there's no verses that say god renews your emotions can you come up with a verse that says god will renew something one corinthians chapter twelve verse one god makes it clear that the mind must be renewed then feelings follow whatever (laughs) whatever you're thinking your feelings will follow So if someone is sharing with me stinky thinking, I can assure you what doctrines they've been listening to. Because they're not matching the word of God. Line for line. If anything I've ever taught, you find something in the Bible that says it doesn't line up, I better say, whoops, and get on my face and get it right with God, so I can grow. It's not that we all claim all the truth all the time. No. No. We're correctable. You see? That's how we all grow. Feelings are to remind us of what it felt like to be or to need help. So if someone comes to you and they're depressed, which we don't believe in depression, we just call it despairing, and they're just despairing, and obviously there's a lot of emotion in that, a lot of lies show up in emotions, and we can remember what that feels like so we have compassion compassion is you have to slice it up into two words come then passion and it's really inviting someone in to pain the passion of the Christ is basically he was inviting the fellowship of his sufferings come and experience co-crucifixion that is the truest definition Of passion. It is not romantic. Feelings are used by God to arouse a desire to minister. To get passionate. To get people to join you in what you're sharing. God uses our feelings to try to test us. Well, he certainly did that to me the past week or so. To have affections for the body of Christ. Now, affections is found in the Bible. It is the proactive or the outward pouring of love that's all it is it's something that comes out of so when you're affectionate it's coming out of love it's the action that comes from love seeing is believing that's John chapter 20 verse 27 what our flesh sees is what we have the tendency to believe people who take the time to be passionate in hatred have the same equal distance between them and God who have the passion to be affectionate. Hatred and love don't even have a hair thickness between the two. They're so close to each other. When a child looks at mommy and says, I hate you. Does the child really hate the mother? No. No. Well, why is the child saying, I hate you? They're not getting the wrong way. Their sovereignty that they have formed in their little brains is like, I am God and you are not, and you are not meeting my needs. You're not bowing down and worshiping me, so therefore, I hate you. If that's not Satan and what happened in, in heaven that day, I don't know what is. You know, you're God and I'm not. Wait, wait a minute, I'm God and you're not. I mean, you're, uh, you won't worship me. You need to get out of that chair. And God looked at him and had 56 hours of therapy with him. No, he grabbed him by the hair of the back of his little angelic wings. And he says, be gone from me. And he dropped him from heaven like a bolt of lightning. And of course we know where he fell. No discussions. Parents who discuss sin with their children are creating sin. everything needs to be yes or no black and white anything above and beyond that is of evil needs to be done righteously quickly and no debates because allowing opportunity for debates creates independence and independence creates kingship and kingship creates the I am parents are the ones who created independent children who act like gods because they have simply allowed kingship to transfer Usually because they don't want the child to be upset. So they kowtow. They do it on both sides, not just parents. Until you formulate this godship. Three gods in a home, or four gods in a home, or five gods in a home. And they're all fighting to see who can have full control. There is no God in your home. Besides the God of the universe. The eyes are never satisfied with what they see. Anyone found that to be true? Have you ever had a new car? I mean, I've I've had one, I think. Yeah, it's like a month. It's like I should have got the SL. You know? The one that had a few more bells and whistles. A few add-ons, maybe. That's how the flesh is. Seeing what is seen requires no faith. Seeing what is unseen is where all the faith is. For many years I was not released to tell this story. A couple of you have heard it already, but I want to get it on our to our online listeners because this is how God works. In my mind, the most extreme, absolutely extreme act of faith is raising someone from the dead. Now, I could bait you a little bit and say, well, that's no different than God healing a cut on your finger. Healing is healing to God. I would say true everything is a miracle from healing your finger to raising someone from the dead but the problem is 99.9% of the body of Christ doesn't believe in raising people from the dead that it can be done anymore whereas God does heal through physical factual circumstances like healing a finger Simple fact is, is God moves from what is in the unseen to the seen by one person stepping forward and saying one simple statement, and Jesus himself says, oh, well, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Go, it's done. What story is that? Centurion comes to Jesus and he says that his his servant is sick, or actually dying and he appealed to Jesus saying you're a man of authority when you speak people listen and it happens so just say it and it'll be done because I too am a man of authority to understand I'm bringing some pieces together here for you to understand authority a man a centurion in Jesus Christ who understands this better than anyone and you got the centurion who leads people, men, into battle day in and day out. And you have Jesus who leads people into battle day in and day out. These two men understood each other. That authority carries power of faith. And what did Jesus say to him? So it is done. Did Jesus have to pack up his bags, his doctor bag, and get on down into that village and, and uh, get lay hands on him and get the demon out of him and no but see there are stories where Jesus did have to go to them personally and he did have to lay hands on them and he did have to get the demon out of the person so that they could experience healing so you go what's the deal the deal is the centurion Jesus said to him never have I seen faith like this in all of Israel I said Very early on in my Christianity, that's the man I want to be. A man of authority and who understands if it's said, it's done. But Jesus is also a God of compassion. So if people need constant wailing and praying and and intercession and whatever, he's there with them. He weeps with those who weep. You see, if that centurion would have broke down and started crying and weeping, I think Jesus probably would have stopped for a moment and embraced the weeping. You see, God needs all of us in how we respond to faith. But he does expect us to say it, believe it, and walk as if it already happened. When I got that phone call 16 years ago, or maybe it's even longer ago, in my office and this grandma calls me God always uses these grandmas and she says uh, that her daughter just gave still birth to her grandson and uh, so I'm comforting her on the phone she's one of our congregational members and I'm comforting her and whatever and I said when, did the, when was the baby born and so she said an hour and 15 minutes or something and I'm like Ugh. and so I'm Comforting grandma and so grandma gets upset at me. She says you're not listening to me And I said yes, I am I am God told me to call you and you need to come down here and lay hands on my grandson and bring him back to life And I'm like Okay, grandma's lost it So I said I'll be right there grandma So I hang the phone up. I walk out of my office walk down the hallway to the president of the ministry and I was his assistant so our offices was right there together plus he was an elder at our church and I sat down and I said Dave he's kinda of looking at me in a little bit of disbelief but he had this smirk on his face and I said she's asked me to come down lay hands on this baby and raise this baby from the dead and he just maintains this smirky little smile and I'm looking at him like hello she's asking me to raise this baby from the dead. And Dave looks at me and he says well all I can tell you is don't pray unless God tells you to. I I am not going to pray and ask this baby to come back to life. This is ridiculous. The baby's been dead an hour and 15 minutes. He says well all I'm telling you is don't pray unless God tells you to. Oh man I left his office and I was just like starting to sweat and I'm like this cannot be happening to me. I get in my little truck and I start heading down to downtown St. Joe's Hospital and I'm just sweating this thing and I'm just anxious and I'm just, I can literally take you to the spot on the highway in Phoenix that I heard the voice of God to this day. I will never forget this moment for eternity and I'm driving down the freeway to get downtown And I am fighting God on this whole thing. And this thing is way beyond the unseen for me. I mean, this is, I am a firm believer that certain miracles are yesteryears. I haven't been truly opened up to releasing the Spirit to be anything He wants to be. (laughs) So, there I am, you know, just freezing up spiritually. But it's amazing to me, even when you're frozen spiritually, God can pierce the mind. And I'm hanging on to this wheel, and I hear this still, small voice, loud thought, whatever you want to call it, say to me, do you believe I can raise this child from the dead? And I, without even hesitating, I said, yes, absolutely. And then God said, "Pray." And I said, "God, I can I cannot pray. I cannot go into that hospital and pray this." Silence. No more talking. I'm driving to the hospital. I park. I'm walking across the street in front of the hospital, and I'm just nerved up, and I just, I just cannot. It was like I was in a a movie. I go into the ICU, and here's the situation. Mom is still at the dead baby's side in ICU. She won't leave the baby's side. It is the daughter who actually told grandma to call Pastor Steve to raise my baby from the dead. They have a guard at the door because no one's going in there. There was pure chaos outside that door. I came up and I, I looked at the nurses, and they were like, glad this is you buddy and Grandma's saying our pastors here our pastors here And I'm like big deal <laughs> and then her daughter and her boyfriend were world-class weightlifters and so uh, he was kinda scary and he was yelling at me he was threatening me don't you dare bring this baby back to life and I'm kinda looking at this guy like okay Grandma says to nurse, let him in, let him in. And they were not going to let me in. That security guard was standing there and there was no way they were going to let me in there. Grandma reaches in her purse and pulls out a Polaroid of this dead baby as blue and gray as you possibly can get. She throws that picture on the floor in front of the nurses station there's gotta be 10-15 people there for sure and she says pray and I'm like this is happening so fast I don't even know what to do so I fell to my knees I put my hand on that, that picture of that baby and I said father you know that this is not my faith that is asking this of you this is the faith of this mother and grandmother But I choose this day to join them, if my faith, to join them in raising this baby from the dead. And before I could say in Jesus' name, I heard all kinds of commotion going on in the ICU. And those doors come bursting open. And this mother is saying, my baby is alive, my baby is alive. And the doctors and nurses are going bonkers trying to get everything hooked up to this baby. Two hours and five minutes. Documented by St. Joe's Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona. Two hours and five minutes. God decided by the faith of this mother, who was probably as wayward as you possibly could imagine. And this grandmother's faith, why yes! My daughter's requesting this, then yes! She calls her pastor, church authority, and God pulled all three of those together. And what happened? New life. Can you imagine what would have happened to, to baby Michael, who's now 16 years of age or whatever? Can you imagine the outcome if one authoritative leader says, not me? don't call on me for that kind of thing one decision can affect thousands of lives and you know what he had zero registered brain damage when that grandmother brought that baby before our little body one Sunday morning I was preaching like I am right now she comes in with baby Michael she just interrupts the whole service this is just kinda of how grandma was she just interrupted the whole service handed baby Michael over to me and I'm holding this baby, just as normal as any little kid. And she says, dedicate this child to the Lord. Okay, well, just kind of put the sermon on hold there. And take care of dedicating this baby to the Lord. And I did a little kuta kente right there on the spot. I held this baby up to the Lord in front of the, the, the congregation and said, Lord Jesus, we dedicate baby Michael to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And before I could get all that out of my mouth, God said to me, I will use this child to transform families and to be a minister of the gospel. And I stopped. I said that to the grandmother. And the grandmother looked at me and she said, a pastor in Mesa said the exact words that you said. I said, you should count on this child growing up to be a minister of the gospel. God did not want this baby back yet. Amazing. Because that's why he died. Well, I'll tell you what, my faith changed after that day. And I've seen a lot of miracles since that day, to be honest with you. God told me not to speak of this story for several years because I didn't want to get the reputation of being a miracle worker. And then. God released me to begin using the story when it is most appropriate. And I believe baby Michael is uh, going to be set free to minister very soon. And the rest of the story is going to be told. Whatever is unseen to us is not unseen to God, He's like waiting for one leader. Just, just one authority figure that's willing to stand boldly and believing and say, "If you said it, it is so." That's it. I didn't claim to be a miracle worker after that. I still don't. It's just God said, "Say it, Centurion. Just say it, and it will be done." It takes authority and faith. And that's not name it and claim it. Stab it and slab it. That's if God said. Dave was right. If God said pray. Pray. But if a man prays it. And God doesn't say it. It's name it and claim it. It's bad doctrine. Weak people. Struggle with faith. One person has faith. That he may eat all things. But he who is weak. He who is weak eats vegetables only. If you go on and read in that passage, he actually clarifies it and says it's demonic doctrines. If God says to deceive, no more sugar. Okay. You see, then it is a mandate. It's a statement of God. If you're having struggles with diet things, ask God. He knows the best one for your body. True weakness is true dependence. One of my favorite passages is 2 Corinthians 13.4. If indeed he was crucified because of his weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward us. Very powerful passage faith by hearing, faith is bringing the unseen into the seen world we pretty much just talked about that, Hebrews 11.1 faith comes by hearing, not by seeing and therefore that brings us to the most basic question for all of us to answer today how many of you actually hear God? when I have someone raise their hand and say, well I hear God by reading my Bible I'd like to take you to 62% of the countries that can't hold this or you'll be shot. And you think those numbers are going to get better towards the end times? You're wrong. They're going to get worse. It could even happen to America. Faith in the Word of God is internal as a life through you. This bears witness with the truth that is in us. Critical little piece to understand before we can understand what it really means to hear. To hear God, then you can read all you want to make sure it verifies. Whatever you do, do this, not whatever you do that is not done in faith, it is sin. So someone who comes to me that they're almost in a sinless perfection kind of a lifestyle, and they say that I really I can't remember choosing to sin today. If anything they did in that day that wasn't done because of faith, they they sinned. So if I say, I blink, I breathe, I walk because of my faith, God goes, good conclusion. But if I go, I can sustain my own life somehow through diets and this and that and whatever, God's like, okay, there's a lifestyle of sin for you. Everything must be done by faith. We need to hold fast to our hope because he is faithful with us. That's Hebrews 10.23 where it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Prayer is a statement of faith. And Satan wants to bring feelings and doubt and confusion and chaos so you'll pray it again. Well, you know, God will still meet you there. Paul prayed three times that it might part from him. Now, I would have done that in five minutes, but whatever this thorn in the flesh it was he had, he prayed three times it hurt so bad. And Jesus' conclusion was still, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's where we're going to pick up uh, next week. Next week, we're going to start with John 6, verses 28 and 29 therefore they said to Jesus Christ they said to him what shall we do so that we may work the works of God the law Jesus answered and said to them this is the work of God that you believe and if you look up in the Greek there you're gonna find the word grace this is the work of God that you grace in him we're gonna focus a few messages between now and the end of the year on what it means practically to grace in Him. So before we get into one of the most sensitive topics in the Bible, the book of Revelation, we need to have a clear understanding of how to function through believing or gracing through Jesus Christ. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships please log on to our website that is www.heartlandfellowships.org. we thank you for joining us